0: From the Gettysburg and 91.1 WCBT Gettysburg, I'm Ben Puntz, and this is On Target.
1: I'm Gary Mangala, and today On Target we'll be talking about the latest Gettysburgian magazine and all the news inside.
0: And to do that, we have Gettysburgian news editor Phoebe Dasher. Stay with us. All right. Well, here we go. The news. <laughs> and joining us to banter about the news. In addition to Gary, of course, is mm-hmm. Phoebe Dasher, our news editor at the Gatorsburg, and welcome to the uh, ridiculous uh, asylum that is on Target.
2: Thank you, Ben. Happy to be here. <laughs> well,
0: that says a lot from the start. <laughs> All right, Gary, what's going on?
1: Well, before we get started, I have an email I have to read. Oh boy. Um. So Mary Fraser, the co-host last semester, has sent us an email. Uh, the subject of it is I finally listened to all the podcasts. And she writes, hey, guys, I just finished binge listening to the podcast. They sound awesome. I keep laughing at both of you. Congrats on the law school acceptance, Ben. Gari, mm-hmm. I miss you so, so, so much. Keep giving, giving Ben hell. I don't understand what your gripe is about downs in football, though. OMG, Gari went abroad last semester, everyone. I love Martin's roles. I'm pumped about that development. Ben learning what a vibe check is is might be my favorite part. <laughs> my phone broke over here, so I can't text you over. Group me like a normal person. I may have fallen off a motorized scooter and landed on my phone, but, you know, abroad. Can't wait to see you both, Mary. She's fine, by the way. But that's Mary giving her love.
0: There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, <laughs> from from uh, motorbike accidents or motorized scooter accidents to, uh, you know... Well, there's just a lot going on
1: there. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I didn't
0: I, understand your football rant either. It was
1: incomprehensible. Yeah. Oh, 100%. That was like the first episode. I got a little bit feral, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think the most ridiculous part is that she binge listened to the entirety of the podcasts.
0: Well, you know, we have many loyal <laughs> listeners. <laughs> All uh, of
1: them are Mary Fraser.
0: <laughs> I actually met a loyal listener of On Target a few weeks ago who has nothing to do with the college at this point, um, (laughs) who doesn't listen on WZBT, but who is a professional in Washington, D.C., who just likes to keep up with Gettysburg College. He's a friend of the college, and to do that, he listens to On Target. Wild. (laughs) I won't out this person, because I don't know if they want the whole world to know that they're an enthusiast of Gettysburg College, but I'm guessing if they're listening, they know who they are, so thanks for listening. Uh, So... Yeah. There can't be too many people that meet those descriptions. No. <laughs> um, in any case, we uh, published this week edition four overall, and edition one of this semester of the Gettysburgians Magazine, and so that's why we've brought on Phoebe as well to to dissect uh, what's what's going on in the magazine. And why don't we start, Phoebe, with the story that, that you wrote, uh, which is a follow-up to a story this past fall about the wages Of support staff and there's some research that uh that was done to suggest that a high percentage of staff are making less than fifteen dollars an hour Uh, but the new development in this particular story had to do with health insurance
2: yes so this time around we were able to get um an anonymous spouse of a sports staff employee to comment on the issue and how the health, health insurance change is affecting them Um, so basically Gettysburg college changed their health insurance plan and, um, basically the deductible is higher. So, um, families are having a harder time being Mm -hmm. able to not only support their families on low wages, but now they have to deal with this higher deductible and pay out of pocket sometimes for their, um, care, care. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So there was the, the, there previously was a plan that was fairly popular that was a lower deductible, Uh, of, I think, $500 Mm -hmm. uh, or $1,000 for a family. And Mm -hmm. now they've gotten rid of that plan. There are two options this year. uh, But then next year, there will only be this high-deductible plan coupled with a health savings account uh, to which the college will make a nominal contribution moving forward. They did make a slightly larger contribution this year. But it seems as if there's some discontent about this. And I know you also spoke with Uh, Carol Kuhn from the support staff council. What did did Mm -hmm. she tell you?
2: She basically said that support staff are unhappy with this change in health care. They're having trouble paying the bills and taking care of it with the increased deductible. And it's, you know, a problem for across the board for them.
0: Yeah. A couple of years, I think, before I was a student here, they tried, this is probably six or seven years ago, there was another health insurance plan change that was so cataclysmically unpopular and (laughs) problematic for people that they went back to what they were doing. And so I don't, there is a little bit of precedent to reverse course on health, on announced health Mm -hmm. insurance changes, but it seems like this one has some, some college momentum behind it. Uh, and I think, you know, it's one of those things that I'm sure we'll continue to keep an eye on. I think that if, uh, other members of the support staff or, or employees have stories to share, they're welcome to reach out to you, right? Please
2: Absolutely, do. yeah.
0: So we'll keep an eye on that. Gary, what else is going on in this magazine?
1: Well, I think we should talk about uh, the one that gave us the most headaches. Um, over this process. I would
0: just like to say that I had equal opportunity headaches from a number of these stories, but which one are you thinking (laughs) of?
1: I think you know that I mean the class enrollment story. Uh, Just for some backstory, when this started, um, I came back to the States and like two days later, I had this email From Ben that was had screenshots of PeopleSoft which we used to pick our classes and it was explaining how we were going to do this weird data collection thing Um, Ben explained like how to do it and then about three months later Ben explained to me that uh, not three months later what am I saying like a month later Ben explained to me that the reason we're doing this is because the college has the data and didn't give it to him Um, now, uh, I know that never not everybody that listens to the podcast really gets who Ben Ponce is, but that is the <laughs> most Ben Ponce thing I've ever, like, seen or heard in my entire <laughs> life, that this man made me waste so, not waste, made me use. Invest. invest, invest. so much
2: of my stupid life into
1: data collection in people's off.
2: Yeah, it was the kind of thing where he said, you guys can watch a TV show and do this at the same time (laughs) or, you know, listen to music and chill (laughs) out and... Just oh, to collect all of data. That was true. Uh, it was. Oh my goodness! I so
1: we spent hours. We spent hours. We.
0: I spent hours too. Yeah, it's I know you did. I, yeah, I'm not saying yeah, that. No, 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 I'm not no. saying that. I'm it was saying you're effort. crazy,
1: and then we all like joined your crazy.
0: I'm crazy, and you all capitulated. Yeah, so I like to work. <laughs> yeah. We
1: uh, had a little party with pizza and brownies that Ben's mother made, um, in the Gettysburgian off It was. It was <laughs> in the office and we were like doing data collection my roommate garrett is also one of the people that did this data collection so
0: one <laughs> he's day, on our staff to he's be clear. on our staff he he's not
1: just my roommate but the point is that we were at home one day and we were sitting at our desks and just racing each other it's like hey hey, I'm at Japanese, and he's like, I'm still at health sciences. I'm going to catch up to you. And it was just like a very crazy week. My friends would come in the room and see us and leave. Because yeah. <laughs> so, they are like, no, not So good. let's
0: back up for a second. <laughs> I'm not sure we ever actually discussed what exactly no. this data is. <laughs> so that thing about one of you being at Japanese and one of you being at health sciences is going to be a little bit confusing. <laughs> so essentially, uh, this story was driven by a question as to THE EXTENT TO WHICH THERE ARE DISPARITIES BETWEEN DEPARTMENTS uh, IN THE NUMBER OF STUDENTS ENROLLED IN CLASSES AND THE AVERAGE CLASS SIZE BY DEPARTMENT. Uh, AND, YOU KNOW, SO THE WAY TO CALCULATE THAT IS OBVIOUSLY TO GET A LIST OF HOW MANY PEOPLE HAVE BEEN ENROLLED IN EACH CLASS SECTION, uh, A LIST THAT WE ASKED THE COLLEGE TO PROVIDE AND WE'RE TOLD THAT THAT DATA IS RESTRICTED TO Uh, to the Provost's Office and to the Office of Institutional Analysis and to a handful of other academic departments, but that they have denied similar requests to students in the past, and so they would deny this request. And as Gari alluded, I was unsatisfied (laughs) by that answer. So I realized, well, one class at a time in PeopleSoft, we can collect this ourselves. And so 4,200 entries later, we have a database in which nine, eight members of our eight members of our staff did just that. And the findings um, do confirm the basis of the story, which is that there are pretty broad disparities across departments in course enrollments. Um, among departments with a minimum of 20 courses run in the past four years, uh, so that would eliminate departments such as Greek, which has an average class size of 4.7, just to be clear, Mm -hmm. Uh, but Greek does not uh, run, did not run a total of 20 classes across eight semesters, so we omitted those from the analysis. But the Environmental Studies Department leading the way, the big winner uh, with an average class size of 27.5, and the big loser, or perhaps the big winner, depending how you look at it, uh, is Japanese with an average class size of 8.6. Generally at the bottom of the list, Um, Are our language classes and you can understand why language classes might need to be smaller uh, And why it might not be such a huge deal if these natural sciences classes are larger because they also have lab sections that allow uh, You know more individualized instruction but in the management department the business courses OMS courses political science courses all averaging above 20 Uh, The overall college average is 18, according to our analysis. The college says it's 17. Um, We'll have to agree to disagree. But uh, there could be minor differences in how we calculate these figures. But I think that what might even be a more telling stat than the average class size by department uh, is the percentage of classes that are over-enrolled. So Mm -hmm. each class has an enrollment cap that is supposed to be where enrollment is cut off for a particular course but it's not uncommon at all for courses to go over those caps with professor permission. And I think that in most cases, professors realize that a particular class might not run again in a future semester, or or a student might need it at this point to be able to take another class in the future. So most professors, in my experience at least, have been pretty permissive in allowing courses to go over the caps, but that's only necessary uh, when there aren't perhaps enough sections of a particular course running to begin with. So in that context, Almost one half of courses in cinema and media studies are over-enrolled. IDS classes, interdisciplinary studies classes, which are needed to meet the Gettysburg curriculum, the kind of gen ed requirements for Mm -hmm. those not uh, fluent in the ridiculous lingo of the Gettysburg curriculum. Uh, But in any case, those classes are over 40 percent over-enrolled. The economics department uh, over-enrolled at more than one third Uh, So there are an awful lot of departments that have an awful lot of over-enrolled classes. Uh, And then at the other end of the spectrum, there are departments where, like, for example, in the conservatory, less than 10% uh, of courses are over-enrolled. And that might suggest that they are sufficiently staffed there, whereas they're not sufficiently staffed elsewhere. Uh, We spoke with the vice provost of the college, Jack Ryan, who's also the dean of arts and humanities, and he said that, you know, there are some legitimate reasons mm-hmm. for, you know, in, in in English, the department that he came from, the first year writing courses are all capped at 16, and he says, well, you know, there's a heavy burden grading-wise on faculty members in in an intensive writing course like that that mm-hmm. might be different uh, than, than a class that's assessed by Scantron exams. Um, <sighs> yeah. So that's all of all of that is to say that this data now exists um and and i imagine and i've already heard from faculty members that are downloading it and performing their own analyses which is good that was the goal of releasing the data set um and and if people find errors in the data we're happy to adjust and release a 2.0 version or something but i don't know gary or phoebe any takeaways other than the uh, process takeaways, mm. any takeaways from the findings?
1: Well, I think for me, I it made me rethink, like, the needs of different classes. So recently, so I'm in a stage design course this semester that has, like, a material, like, a physical component to it. Like, everybody has to have their own desk to draft and our own materials. So there's a cap that physically cannot go over. And... Um, myself and a few other people have to take the course to graduate with the major. So I was watching my friends struggle until somebody else dropped that he could, you know, get in the course that he had to do that. And like, that was the only time that I've ever witnessed a professor not allow a student over a cap mean and like that's material thing. We saw that with studio art classes a lot that if it's a material component of needing a workspace, um, we tend not to go over the cap, which makes sense. On the other end of things, like normal lecture-based courses, I saw a cap of 25 go up to like 37, which changes the general environment. I think that's the thing that we're like getting away from is that, you know, we came to Gettysburg and one of the reasons we came to Gettysburg was the small class sizes and the like individual um, approach to it. Uh, There's a quote somewhere in the story talking about how students can – come to class at, like, and not really be known by their professor now?
0: Yeah, Steve Gimble in the philosophy department, who, by the way, is the big winner, so to say, in the humanities. Of, mm-hmm. of And in general, we should note that the natural sciences, which includes computer science and math, in addition to you know chemistry and physics yeah. and those sorts of things, on average have the highest enrollment, followed by the social sciences, followed by the arts and humanities. Uh, so Steve Gimbel had the largest class size of any professor on average in the arts and humanities. And so we spoke to him and he had mentioned that before he came to Gettysburg, he taught at nine colleges uh, and and had classes of upwards of 100 students. And so in the grand scheme of things, 35 isn't isn't massive, but it feels large, he said. And he said, quote, a student can hide in the back row of a classroom with 35 in a way that one cannot hide in a seminar of eight to 12.
1: Yeah, Uh, and it's true.
0: And right, and the other thing is like, in the grand scheme of things, 35 is not large. But in the grand scheme of things, people aren't usually paying $65,000 a year to go to college. And so the liberal arts experience that people are paying for is for these small classes. And, you know, on average, classes are 18. But in some departments, we found that very few, you know, more than two-thirds of classes are over 18. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even, you know, in the political science department, which is my major, there was a capstone this semester or last semester that ran with like 21. And capstones mm-hmm. are supposed to be capped at 16 across the college. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you the difference between 21, 22 in a research-based seminar uh, as compared to 15 or 16 is, is, you know, not nothing.
1: Yeah. And I think so I've taken many an intro course at this college. And it's it's a completely different environment. So when I, I'm an anthropology major as well, and uh, my anthropology 103 and 106, which are intro courses that you need to take for the rest of any other course you want to take in the department, really, we're large classes, like upwards of 25. And it changes, like, the general environment of the course because, you know, I'm somebody who volunteers a lot in class and speaks. No. To- Shut up. <laughs> so, like, I don't have a, uh, like, I'll, I'll find a way to have the environment I want no matter where I go. But, like, that's not going to be the same for every student. And I know kids that, you know, uh, find a way to hide in those bigger courses. And then I see them again in my smaller courses, uh, like, in, you know, in, like, 200 and 300 level anthro courses. And they're completely different because the professor is able to, you know, turn and be like, hey, Phoebe, I haven't heard from you in a while. Mm-hmm. And that is is inherently different and yeah intercourses are going to be more lecture based than you know a more discussion based 200 or 300 level and I get that but also um there's something beneficial in I mean that's that's the point of the liberal arts is that you're hearing what everyone has to say and there's not this like god figure of a professor it's like the professor has the information but their opinion doesn't matter any more than anybody else's and you Mm -hmm. kind of
0: I've had some deities as professors.
1: Yeah, but, like, you shouldn't. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what you're going for. And just to be
0: clear, it was just yeah. the professors thought they were deities. Oh, yeah. I thought they were. Anyway, sorry.
1: Yeah, Ben's idealizing professors now. Um, But, like, that's what I'm saying. So it's not it's not constructive in terms of the courses that you're offered here. Also, I think if you're having it one, like, we're going to a college, and, like, yeah, you should have, like, a, a broad understanding of how you learn and like whatever and all of that, you know, educational ideology wackadoo stuff. Um, but you went to a college because this is the way you wish to learn. And I think that you should, you know, what Ben said, like, if you're paying this amount of money, you should learn the way you've asked to learn.
0: Yeah. I mean, there is some research that says that small class sizes don't really matter in the grand scheme of student learning, that class size is not the most important factor. Uh, on the other hand, you know, like I said, if, if it's what people paid for, so they, they, they ought to have, you know, what they paid for. Phoebe, any yeah.
2: other no. takeaways? I think it really does impact the student experience. Like, we're very big on professor-student relationships here at Gettysburg. Students do research with professors. Right. Students want to build those relationships and learn in that certain way where they can rely on a professor to base their ideas off of and talk to other students in a seminar-based class. And I've had classes that were so small that sometimes students were afraid to speak up because there were just not many people and we were just uncomfortable in this small environment. And then I've had classes that were slightly larger and it was still very intimate where we could all, you know, bounce ideas off of and hear different perspectives, but it was big enough. Like, I think there's a certain, you know, depending on sweet spot. Yes, exactly. Um, so, Small classes are nice, depending on the way you learn, and especially in seminar-based classes, like a lot of the ones at Gettysburg. Um, but I think it is a very important part of our education here at Gettysburg to have those relationships with professors and to have that personalized experience, whereas you're just another face in a crowd at you know another institution or in larger classes.
0: Yeah, uh, the other piece that's kind of related to this is advising loads that are separate, uh, you know, that are dis- they're disparate by department. Uh, we we didn't we weren't exactly able to collect data on this, um, but you can infer that in a, a department such as, we'll just go with political science, which mm-hmm. as of this semester has the most mm-hmm. majors of any uh, department on campus and has eight faculty members right now that are advising, these advising loads that faculty yeah. members have can be up to 40, whereas... So, as we noted in the story, in Italian studies, there are two tenured <laughs> professors and one major. So, uh, you know, you've got that uh, nice advising ratio, and I will just say that in in the political science area, I uh, I don't know if I would say I'm a high maintenance advisee, but I'm
1: percent oh, higher, or...
0: <laughs> I spend a lot of time in it's... professors' offices, and if every professor oh, spent as much time with every student as they spent with me, they mm-hmm. would work about 37 hours a day <laughs> Um,
1: which doesn't work
0: (laughs) yeah so I suppose I'm getting more than my fair share Uh, but Mm -hmm. I mean I think that in other departments where an advising load might be eight to ten or you know Mm -hmm. it's it's just a different look there are 200 approximately give give or take there are 200 tenure tenure track faculty members on this campus there are 2,500 students on average a a professor ought to have 13 to 15 advisees uh, and on average, in some departments, they're significantly less than that. And then in political science, they're 35 or 40. And I'm sure it's the same in economics. I'm sure it's the same in, in OMS and, and, and management. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line here is that certain students seem to be getting shortchanged and certain faculty members might be being asked to do more work than some of their peers.
1: Absolutely. And I don't think that on the end of faculty or on the end of students that they should be like fighting for that Kind of relationship. I think it should be very natural. Like, I like the theater department has like a very good. I think maybe it needs another faculty member, but like it has a pretty good ratio in terms of students, like advisees and advisors. How many
0: theater majors are on campus? How many are in your class?
1: In my class, there's seven.
0: Well, so right. it's fine.
1: You know what I mean? It's fine. Um, I just
0: would say that in that context, the theater department is not in even the top echelon of yeah. needing another faculty member advising-wise.
1: Advising-wise, yeah, no. Courses, probably. Um, but, you know, I have a fine amount of time and I have a great relationship with my advisor because I see him a lot because he has, you know, a certain amount of advisees and has that time for me. But, like, that's not the case for every department. I How many professors are in, like,
0: OMS – Well, OMS is a little bit of a special case because they also have some non-tenure track lecturers that do advise. But in political science, there are currently eight permanent faculty members that can advise uh, and 250 majors. That's
1: insane. That is just insane. And also, like, the advising load of something like political science is going to be a lot because a lot of them are going to want to go to
0: law school. And internships. And And internships
1: and research and all of that. It's going to be a lot. It, and it's going to be a lot of, you know, can you review this thing or well, that one? Can you write me a letter of rec? Like, that's health, sci- time.
0: health sciences is another <clears throat> department that historically has had uh, gripes probably valid about its advising loads. Uh, Joseph, Bra- uh, Joseph Brandauer, who teaches in health sciences, was quoted at a faculty meeting a couple of years ago saying that he had written 70 recommendation letters one spring.
1: That's horrifying.
0: Um, you know, for people applying <laughs> yes. to grad school and things, and so... You know, not every professor has to do that. And so there's, there's just broad disparities. And it seems as if there are some departments that are probably overstaffed uh, relative to the number of majors they have and relative to their class sizes, while there are certainly other departments that are understaffed. And I'm sure that every faculty member would love for their department to have two or three more. Uh, but, you know. Yeah. So that's that story.
1: Yeah. I
0: was quite oppressive, I suppose, in getting everyone to collect the data. But now that we have it, It's great, yeah. Gettysburgen.com slash enrollment will get you to the story, and Gettysburgen.com slash enrollment dash how will get you to how we did it, (laughs) as well as a highly terrific-to-read methodological statement with coding choice analysis. Yeah, I, I
1: read it out loud to Garrett, and he, like, I think just, like, thinking about the methodology and reading it out
0: was like, oh, that really is what we did, isn't it?
2: Yes, it becomes very like easy and formulaic once you're getting into the process, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is like it's almost this like is easy. this
0: process could be conducted by a machine. Oh, like <laughs> <laughs> that the college owns. Um, it's okay though. The staff has its own machines. Yes. Uh, yeah. And perhaps a shout out at this point is is noted to or is is appropriate to Katie Oglesby, our assistant news editor, who just cruised through several. semesters.
1: Oh my god, she, she's lovely. We we were like watching her do it because I was going through and making sure that um, people were using the same names for faculty just to keep them coded. And I went to her page, and she's just cruising at like hyper speed. It was insane. Um, It was pretty great. She was helping Lauren Hand beat Ben Ponce in one of their lists.
0: Well, in any case, what else is going on? We talked about food insecurity. Gary give us a little bit of an overview of that.
1: Yeah, so um, uh, the Office of Multicultural Engagement is now holding uh, free Berg Bowls, which is essentially a packed... um, meal that's made out of servo leftovers um and it's uh, every thursday they just sent out an email saying you can come get a berg bowl it's also working through campus kitchen i believe um which is a it's a what is campus kitchen exactly how do i explain that um it's gettysburg colleges like it's a program it's a program they donate food to the community but they haven't really ever done anything for the college and now they are which is great um And basically, Burke bowls is an attempt to address a food insecurity issue at Gettysburg College. And food insecurity isn't just the idea of someone having no food. It's also the idea of someone like eating, you know, ramen or surviving off of like chips and not really eating nutritious and like useful food, um, which is a bigger issue at Gettysburg College than we really talk about. And the argument is that if you're not eating well, you cannot be performing well in your academics and your extracurriculars. And it tends to be that those, those students that are facing these issues are going to, you know, receive a lot more burnout issues than um, those who are eating nutritious meals. Um, the story then goes into talking about, you know, our different meal plans. Um, meal plans are, I mean, we talk about tuition be expensive. Uh, the... Meal plans that you can be on uh, that are the highest in terms of actual swipes that you can get a meal with are upwards of three grand a semester. And then the lowest you can go on is about $1,300, and then below which if you live in a residence that has a full working kitchen, you can go on to a no meal plan. But that tends to also, you know, make students uh, just not really cook or do anything with that. And I know in Student Senate, they were talking about bumping the 12 meal plan. I think I'm on the 12. I don't know about you guys. Me too, yeah. Yeah, the 12, which is (laughs) great until you get to Sunday and you run out of meals because you're eating two meals a day. You run out of meals by Sunday. Um, Holla. Uh, And bumping that to a 14. So like, it's not just this idea of, I don't know, not being able to afford food like it is. But on top of that, it's also the idea that something's got to give sometimes. And sometimes it's what you're eating.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, there, there's the other... The, someone asked me one time why there's a 20-meal plan as opposed to a 21-meal plan. The answer to that one is actually simple. It's that brunch is a combined meal on Sunday at certain. Yeah, okay. Uh, but... You know the twelve to fourteen situation. I'm sure there was a reason at some point that that became that way. Um, it's an interesting story that that uh, this bird bowls program, mm-hmm. which is what the the hook <coughs> of the article was, uh, has been started. It's a one basically a once a week free meal distributed to students who who register uh, for it. Yeah. Basically, mm-hmm. um, and it's distributed through the Office of Multicultural Engagement and International Student Services, um, which is interesting. Uh, but it's uh, not there. There's something like 25 students that are currently receiving these meals. I think it's open registration.
1: They email um, all of OMI for it too. Like I get the emails. I'm not registered for it, but I get them every week.
0: It is interesting that the emails go to the OME alias as opposed to the general campus alias. There yeah. seems to be some problematic connotations in both directions there. I agree. A, that the people on the OME alias are the ones in most likelihood of being in need of stuff, and B, that n- people who aren't on the list aren't in need. But setting that aside, um, it's it's a program that that you know the student that Nicole DiGiacomo, who wrote this story, spoke to, Uh, who's involved with Campus Kitchen, said that it's kind of a, I don't think she used the phrase drop in the bucket, but one meal a week isn't going to solve an underlying food insecurity problem. So I think that more conversations are on the horizon about this particular issue.
1: I will also say that I do like the idea that we're not just like wasting a bunch of food. Servo now, too. I think mm-hmm. that's also great. Well, that helps environmentally. Food waste is an yeah.
0: issue. Campus Kitchen has been doing that for a long time. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and that's been, that was started in 2007, I believe.
1: Yeah. I will say also that I think the idea that a student can just like, you know, hop over to OMI and pick up a meal and like continue with their day um, is really great because, you know, I have, I have a friend who does get bird bowls and like most other times, I don't really see them eating really well. Mm-hmm. But then they get a bird, bird bowl and like they're functioning better in the day yeah. and they just keep moving and they do their thing and they keep it pushing. Absolutely. And I think that that's a really great thing. I think um, I hate using campus culture as a term, but like I think the general campus culture is like bragging about how much you haven't been eating or like how many to-go boxes you've used in Bullet. And I think like that stress culture like, does add to the food insecurity culture mm-hmm. of, like, this, like, I haven't eaten all day. And, like. Or the
2: people who are too busy and they forget to eat or don't have time to eat.
0: Yeah. or I feel attacked.
1: No, I mean, I can Literally,
2: I cannot attack. And it goes both ways. Yeah. You know.
0: College is a stressful
2: experience. People, you know, could overeat because they're stressful or they're stressed out or, you know, undereat because they're also stressed out. So it just, it varies depending on the person. And for some people, it ends up being a financial issue where they can't get the proper nutrients to be able to work in this environment. And I mean, and time is a thing as well. Like, I don't get... Out of stuff
1: until late, a lot of nights, and I pass 7 Eleven on my way home. And there's many a night that I go and pick up a pack of ramen. Yep. There's many a night where I do that and I don't go to Bullet. Like, and that's not great, but I do that. And like, I'm not saying that I'm food insecure because, like, you know, I have financial privilege in that way, but like, that is an inherent, like, just college issue. Like, we we make jokes about the ramen thing, but like, it's not great. I don't think, Ben, you've never had ramen, haven't you? Like, never had it. No. It's addictive. It's addictive. Yeah. It's addictive. Um, but what, like what I'm you saying
0: really is...
1: noodles. Whatever. Um, but I'm saying, like, there's this, like... <laughs> in
0: general.
1: I, I go home to my house sometimes, and, like, we all, like, there's... It's mostly theater kids that live in my house. And we're all getting home from rehearsals or, like, you know, light hangs and stuff late. And then, like, four or five of us are heating up the kettle for ramen because we haven't eaten. And, like, that's sad. That's really sad. hmm yeah. Um, it's also yeah.
0: probably, in some cases, more of a time management issue
1: than anything. Oh, 100%. That's what I'm saying. I think they're...
0: Well, right, and I'm just not sure that conflating the two is necessarily no. what this bird bowl No,
1: absolutely not. No? I think it's a separate issue, but I think, like, this has addressed, like, an inherent dietary issue. Like, I think it knowledge. opens up
2: the dialogue for how we talk about food and, you yeah. know, providing meals on campus in general.
0: Indeed. It, so in
2: so. short... Eat a vegetable.
0: I'm against vegetables as a concept. Okay, moving right along. I'm not gonna give you a chance to to dig into that. But (laughs) the only other story I wanted to highlight, uh, speaking of data projects, uh, our Garrett Glazer, our sports editor, and I worked mostly Mm. Garrett. I did the first sport and then he did the other seven uh, (laughs) to compile data on retention uh, of varsity athletic teams. Uh, and there's some findings that might not be super surprising, which is that the football team over the last four years has retained fewer than one half in each year of its players uh, from their first year to their senior year. Um, and, and that's not to say that those students have left the college necessarily, but that they are no longer on the team. Uh, so the football team has a retention rate of just over 40% over the past four uh, over Re, of athletes retained over four years, uh, this graph uh, says that it's 2016 to 2020. I think the data actually goes back to 2010, uh, but in any case, football not doing so hot. The lacrosse, the women's lacrosse team, is the highest, coming in just right around 70% um, mm-hmm. of of retained athletes over four years. Now. One obvious explanation here is that over the last 10 years the women's lacrosse team has won three national championships while the men's football team, the football team, has won one game in each of the last two years, won three games each of the two years before that. So, you know, there's a success disparity among these teams. But uh, they're also, I I, I wonder, and I think this is a story that Garrett's going to continue to follow, Mm -hmm. but I wonder whether there are concerns about injuries in football, Uh, that are less acute in, I don't know, basketball. Not that you can't turn an ankle playing basketball, but turning an ankle and getting a concussion or two different, you know, the gravity of those potential injuries are different. Um, But that was not something that came up in the people that you talked to. I think that what did come up is that between people's first and second years, they find out, well, they're not going to play as much on the college team and that it's less, the cost benefit is less worth it to some people. Um, You know, there are also some, you know, people who just lose the passion for their sport they had in high school or frankly and this might be the case too people played a sport in high school casually or were pretty good at it and figured they'd keep at it so they could get some better attention from certain colleges and then they get to college and realize they weren't super into it the whole time and You know, not going to continue. Not
2: going to continue professionally.
1: Yeah, and we weren't going to put this in the article because it is technically speculating, but, like, what is on target if not just a large speculation? But there are a lot of cases of of people, specifically on the football team, joining the football team to then, you know, join a fraternity. Oh, no, that is in
0: the story. That's not speculative. Mike Mattia, the athletic director, Mm -hmm. said as much.
1: Yeah, and it's like there's two SAE Sigma Alpha epsilon epsilon and ato alpha tau omega like they're very largely football teams that or ex football like team members um fraternities At least and have a
0: reputation of that I yeah, haven't crunched the numbers but yeah
1: well, I haven't either but I'm right um <laughs> and there's this like I mean people it's it's a D3 school it's not like anyone's going to go on to be in the NFL. And if they are, like, they tend to transfer out, like, the first year. I had a friend my freshman year that uh, was on the football team and was great and then transferred to a different school because we're a D3 football team. At the end of the day, as good as we get, no one's going professional from Gettysburg. Um, but if you can join a fraternity, what's the harm in doing a <laughs> year? I guess.
0: So, anyway, uh, any other news and notes that were not in the magazine we want to chat about this week? The coronavirus. Oh, Oh, goodness. I, okay. I didn't realize I was teeing up a source of controversy for Gary, but fire away. I, like,
1: so maybe, like, two or three weeks ago, we were seeing a lot of memes of, like, oh, like, Oh, the media, ah, coronavirus. And then it's like me who's lived through like swine flu and Zika and like mm-hmm. all these other things, like not phased. I'm actually very phased. Is that is that a thing you can say? Sure. Yeah, I'm very phased by corona. Um, I don't remember, maybe I didn't read the news as much for the other ones, but this one feels different.
0: Well, I mean, I think that what's different about this as compared to, say, Zika is that it's in the United States. Uh, and, and... That Gettysburg College students as of today are in places where it's closing in uh, Potentially in Italy for example Uh, it's Also interesting to me That the college has not been out in front of this in public communication to the campus Uh, in a way in a public health situation like this you would think they might be. Um, and, and maybe it's because they don't wanna cause unnecessary alarm, but you know there are spring break trips that were scheduled mm-hmm. and, and have been canceled. Not that they've told the college that, but they have been canceled. I guess Bergen's told the college that. Uh, there was a trip to, uh, to Italy and to Montenegro that the fielding center of which I was a part was supposed to be going on. That's been canceled uh, correctly. Uh, There's a trip to the Middle East through the Contours of the Middle East program, another EI program that's been canceled, a trip to France, uh, that I believe has also been canceled, also from an EI program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems that it's really airports and, 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 and cor- the possibility of quarantines that are driving a lot of travel restrictions. Uh, the students, many we, we have a handful of Gettysburg staff members who are scattered across Western Europe this semester in places like Copenhagen, Geneva, Vienna, Budapest, uh, and, and so, you know, in a variety of European countries, and all have pretty much been told to stay put because if, you know, even if they weren't to contract the virus, uh, they could get, by virtue of somewhere that they have traveled, could end up in a quarantine in a, in a foreign country, not be able to complete their program, and, and then they wouldn't get credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, so, there are four Gettysburg students that are studying abroad in Rome this semester, and they've all been told, "Look, you either need to come home and finish your class online, which would demonstrably suck, uh, or complete your sign another waiver that indemn- or that releases the college once again yeah. uh, because there's a travel warning now to Italy." Now, in that program, uh, students had already been taking classes online while in their kind of Italian compound. Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, a variety of emails have been scattered about. I don't think we necessarily need to read them all, but... uh,
1: So I have a friend who goes to Dickinson, who's one of our peer institutions, and she was studying abroad in Italy at the time. And their their global thing is called CGSE, and CGSE sent them an email with a directive that they were being evacuated like there was no ifs ands or buts about it you are no longer in italy get out and it was saying that all students currently in italy are asked to depart as soon as possible if you already have a return flight we suggest calling the airline to discuss a flight change da 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 da. Uh, while traveling stay informed about the outbreak and the precaution to take closely monitor the situation as it is involving evolving daily all impending tra- student travel to italy is prohibited this directive on all dickinson student travel to italy will remain in effect until further notice and it was just like very cut and dry like you're done we're, we're not doing this um
0: yeah gettysburg <laughs> i was talking about this the other day with someone and it's not just in this context but in general gettysburg is a lot more apt to recommend than direct
1: i think sometimes you just got it. sometimes we just we're done. We're not, we're not doing this anymore. And Gettysburg won't do that.
0: Well, I mean, that can cut both ways. But in any case, it's the true. coronavirus, The one they did cancel the China study abroad programs back in January when there was an outbreak in the Wuhan province of China. Um, and, and now uh, these other programs could potentially be affected. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap up our news segment. We'll be right back with the bullet report. And then that's it. We already did our quasi-interview. Wow. News editor, Phoebe Delsher. And now it's time for the bullet, still loading, still loading report. On February the 23rd, the wrestling team finished 16th out of 20 at the Southeast Regional NCAA Division Three Championship, the women's basketball team defeated Johns Hopkins, 63-49 on February the 28th. The wrestling team the next day also finished 16th out of 20. I think the score just got recorded twice, but it was the same one. Yesterday on February the 29th, softball team defeated Mary Washington 17 to 10. The women's lacrosse team defeated Dennison 13 to six. Softball team lost in the second half of their doubleheader to Mary Washington, six to five. The women's basketball team lost to Haver for 49-46 in the Centennial Conference Championship. The men's cross team defeated Stevenson 10 to five. And that ends the bullet report. That's on target for this week. We'd like to thank Phoebe Dasher for joining us to discuss the news today.
1: We'd also like to thank the staff of the Gettysburgian and the executive board of WZBT for their ongoing support in this project. Please be sure to subscribe to On Target on TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts.
0: On Target is a joint production of the Gettysburgian and WZBT. Our theme music was composed by Diego Rocha, a 2019 graduate of the Sunderman Conservatory of Music. Join us next week. We'll be talking to Dr. Kathy Bradley, the Executive Director of Health and Counseling Services for what uh, will be a remarkably relevant conversation in light of the coronavirus, which wasn't even planned. But look at that serendipity. Until then, have a great week. Enjoy the weather.